you do the intro because I trust you. Because I love this burrito. This <laughs> movie the- <laughs> makes me two things. Hungry and horn hungry. You can't say horny. That sounds like I'm into violence against women. <laughs> yeah, maybe. One, two, three, four. <laughs> is Slashers, your new favorite podcast about your new favorite horror media. Although Doug is right, I don't think it's really new anymore, but anyway. established <laughs> in the old show. It's new to you. It's new oh, to it's you. new. Okay. All right. Let me try that again then. No, no, no. It's fine. Make fun of me. <laughs> also, let's talk about the fact that nobody else has come up with a tagline for this show, and I've done like seven. Uh, On the spot, no come up with something better. No, no, I like Do yours. It. I'm not going to change it. I like that. I I'm like just, it, but I also hate it, and I'm going to criticize I didn't it publicly. Say it. I hate it. I didn't criticize it publicly. I'm, I'm sorry, just this saying, is a public I don't forum. think it's new anymore. Uh, okay, I'm starting it over. We're not no, putting not. that in. Cause, keep going. Because you've got like burrito in your mouth. So? People pay <laughs> extra for that. So I can think of guys- at least one Patreon patron who's imagining his penis as this burrito. Oh, I think I know who you're talking about. <laughs> That's right, Jason Hill. <laughs> okay. But anyway, so I don't know if you guys could tell, but uh, with me as always is my esteemed colleague, co-host, and cohort, our Jakey Poo eating his burrito. Jake, say hello to the mutant goons from beyond. Hello, mutant goons from beyond. Fun fact, I hate being called Jakey Poo. Absolutely I the know. worst thing in the world. So I, I did that on purpose. I hope I'm you like it. I am going to call you something very mean. Ah. <laughs> uh, no, because you've put butts on my face and you've you've made my face into all kinds of horrible things That's throughout true. our the tenure of our friendship and I can't call you Jakey Poo as, but remember, a, as a as a I'm term not of endearment even until I'm ahead. <laughs> I know. So. Yeah, I'll get I'll get my revenge. It'll be sweet. Okay. All right. Anyway, go ahead and say hello everybody. I did. Or, I said hello. Okay. Okay. All right. Maybe you couldn't hear it through the burrito in my teeth, but No, probably not. It's is good. that so? Is that a vegan burrito? Is there like vegan sausage or chicken in it? Like, how yeah. do you eat it? It's a Beyond Cali bullshit. So I think it's oh. supposed to be like a ground beef. Doesn't taste like what I remember beef tasting like, but it tastes like food. That's nice. Well, I was thinking of you this weekend, Jake, because I finally caught up on the new episode of Great British Baking Show, and it was Freeform Week, so it was like vegan desserts. Yeah, we watched that one. Oh, okay. So you saw it. My wife and my big things are like the British baking show and then the, all the variants like the Canadian one. And then Lego Masters, we're going through Australian Lego Masters right now uh, because mm. she will not. I was like, hey, do you want to watch Silence of the Lambs? She's like, you can alone. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, oh, and that's my- the story of our relationship. Well, in case you guys didn't realize, but we are talking The Silence of the Lambs today. And I'm really shocked that she didn't want to watch it because I feel like this is a good, like, everyone's really into the 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 crime drama and all that stuff right now, like true crime. Yeah. To her credit, she does, she has watched these movies with me before and we did watch the Hannibal TV show together. It's just, you know, she is the type of person to watch a movie one time and never go back. And I'm like, I watched the Suicide Squad that James Gunn did 
three times this year and I might watch it again. So we're obviously different species. Oh, yeah. No, I like to revisit things because I just rewatched this again yesterday, but I literally watched it like two weeks ago because this is one I can watch over and over again because I feel every time I watch it that I see or catch something different, something I haven't seen before. So, um, you know, I think it's really good. There's all these little subtle things throughout the film. Oh, yeah. And yeah. And I think, you know, we suggest or you suggested it for Thanks Gorging Month, uh-huh. obviously, because we're, you know, gorging on human flesh, but not just that, but the the moths get shoved down mm. the corpses throats, too. So it's like twofold. Right. So we have like two fun, fun surprises. Would that be, oh, what is it? Insectophagia. Is that I- what that's called? Ictophagia. Mm. Um, what is it called to eat bugs? Entomophagy. Okay. I knew okay, some of the Greek fun. derivatives there. That was all right. But yeah, dude, yeah. this movie, I don't know if it's just the amount of on the ensemble cast, the amount of locations, the amount going on, but it does not feel like a movie that's almost exactly two hours long at all. Like this is definitely one that breaks that, you know, 90 minute golden rule for me every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it goes by so quickly. Um, you know, even like yesterday when I'm watching it, you know, I'm sitting down and I'm not looking at my phone and I'm not, you know, thinking about all the other things that I want to do or I need to get done. I just am, am engrossed by this film. And it's just something about the way the camera is too. every time it it shows people talking to each other in this film, like it shows them face, you know, face on. Right. Yeah. And so like something like about that and I especially enjoy watching it when they do that with Anthony Hopkins, Hannibal Lecter, Dr. Lecter is because, you know, we know that he doesn't blink at all. And he just he sees right into your soul and you almost feel like you're Clarice talking to him when they do those sort of types of shots. And I don't know if that was intentional. Uh, I didn't really look too much into the background information. I just wanted to sort of comment on the film itself because I feel like, you know, this everyone knows this movie. So I just wanted I was just curious to see like your take on it and like you know, what you thought of some of the things going on with it. I mean, the movie is incredibly well shot and well framed and in an interesting way where it shows a sense of dynamism and predatory nature and suspense. That level of artistry brings it to a level where it's not just another horror movie. You know, Mm -hmm. this movie won a slew of Academy Awards. Like I was, I because I was always very curious, very rarely do we do a film on here that gets any kind of, uh, a plum in the critical community aside from like the Saturn Awards or the Razzies, right? This mm-hmm. movie won Best Picture, Director, Actor, Actress, Adapted Screenplay. And that's just an incredible tally of victories, which is also a, a play on the screenwriter's name. But I, I truly think that the way it's shot and the way that it looks like, for those of you watching on YouTube, you can see behind Adrian, there's a scene where it's over Jodie Foster's shoulder and you're seeing Hannibal Lecter, and you can see his posture. And even though he's removed, he's a threat. He looks like a fox coiled up and ready to spring. And there's so many moments of that. You know, when it's so like, think about the shot where it's Jodie Foster and she's talking, she's confronting Buffalo Bill in the doorway, and how he fills the fucking doorway. You know, it is so close. It's unrealistic, it's unnaturally close to him. But what it's doing is it's doing what he, it's echoing his motion where he's like, don't look behind me. 
It's very, very good. Did that answer your question? Because I am going to rant. This is also, I, this is the first dedication I think I've ever done on the sh- uh, show. I'm dedicating this episode to my late grandmother, Barbara, because she loved film as one of our great things that we would do together. And she absolutely loved this movie. Uh, and so I saw this entirely too young. I think I was five years old. She didn't show it to me. She had mentioned how much she loved it. And then my mom was like, let's rent it. And we watched it. And I saw a man's dick tucked between his legs. So that was cool. <laughs> it's interesting that you say that because the first time I watched this film was with my mom because she really liked it. And I was, I was a kid. And I think we were watching it on TV though. So I don't think it was right when the movie came out. But I, I remember being a child watching it and just, you know, asking her questions and just yeah. like explaining things to me. <laughs> like, so, so that's great. That's awesome. Like that's something we have in common that like, you know, people who are women who are important in our lives showed us this very uh, violent, <laughs> violent film. <laughs> but it, that's one of the interesting things. Is it, this film, much like Texas Chainsaw that we recently did, is it that violent? I mean, you see a silhouette of Bill attacking uh, the American girl in the beginning. Yeah. And you see some gun muzzle flashes and you see a guy bleeding. But I, I would dare say that's the most overt violence that you actually see in the movie. It's very, very intense. And, and so much so that I think probably the most overtly scary idea is Hannibal killing multiple MIGs with his words. I know. <laughs> Jesus, how am I supposed to explain that to my kids? And I'm like, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will make me gag on my own tongue after I throw cum at a lady. Yeah. Yeah. That, he deserved it, though. Yeah. Like, pro I, tip, just don't throw your cum in the first place and nobody will kill you. Exactly. And that's the thing. And it, she even mentions at the end of the movie, because her, uh, the chick from Candyman, I always forget her real name. She... She was worried that, you know, he was going to go after Clarice at the end. She's like, no, he'd think he'd consider that rude. Yeah. <laughs> like, and so there's just things about Hannibal Lecter that are just so fascinating to me. Like, what a cool, like, I mean, probably would kill me, but just such a cool conversation that would be, right? Like, so I don't know. Like, he just, oh. I don't know. It, what's really interesting is he seems like the type who would let you try and live and would truly give you the fair fight. You know, you, you see the oftentimes the trope where it's like, okay, I'll give you a head start. And they're like, one, two, skip a few, 99, 100, and they go after you or something to that effect. I love a principled villain. You know, my, my one of my favorite villains of all time, Dr. Doom, Magneto, two characters who I think that, uh, whom, whom I think that Sir Anthony Hopkins would do quite well. But the idea being like being so principled makes it way more interesting. And it certainly, it lessens the overt savagery, right? This is not a guy like multiple MIGs who's slathering on himself. But at the same point, it adds a complete new level when it comes to the deliberateness of what they're doing. It is not impulse. And in that, it's arguably scarier. You know, we talk about in murder, you can have aggravated murder, you can have manslaughter, you can have things that lessen you, uh, your culpability based on your cognitive state at the time. So you're saying, oh, well, you know, uh, I was incensed with rage because I found my spouse with somebody in bed. So people would say, oh, would a reasonably prudent person be driven to a point of madness at that? Okay, we'll give you a slap on the wrist comparably. There is no frothy mouth craziness from Hannibal Lecter. He's always yeah. like a shark. It's awesome. Yeah. I And yeah, that does make him scarier. But again, it just... I don't know. Like, is is are you more terrified? And maybe this makes him less 
not that you're terrified, but that more willing to trust him over someone like Buffalo Bill, because Bill is just completely like not with it, whereas Hannibal totally is. So I, I don't know. I just go back and forth with that because there are times when, you know, when I was younger watching this, I felt that Buffalo Bill was way scarier to me. And the parts that he had the girl in the in the dungeon and, and making her put on the, uh, the the lotion with the dog and all of the other things he did, yeah. like were just just a lot scarier for me. And I, I was just, you know, grossed out by just the kind of person that he was. And Hannibal was not like I, I didn't care. Like, I didn't think he was whatever. Now that I'm an adult. I I don't not that I don't care about Buffalo Bill. I just don't think he's the most interesting thing in the movie. Oh, I definitely feel yeah, like Hannibal Anthony Hopkins delivery delivery of Hannibal and 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 what he brought to the table with the character that makes Hannibal is just so good. And that's why like I I'm afraid to watch the series because I don't I don't know if I like to think of Hannibal being played by somebody else, which. Mads Mikkelsen does a damn good job. I think that the weakest part of the show is it trying to be too different in sometimes like there's just, you know, the actors are not your problem. The writing will be your problem, I think. But keep okay. Going. Yeah, no, I've, I've been told the series is great and I really just need to sit down. It's just, you know, we've talked about this before with a lot of things like a series is a commitment. So yeah. well, especially to know that it didn't end where it was intended to end. Like they talked about they were if they got another season, they were going to try and redo Silence of the Lambs dealing with something more of like a theme of race. And I don't know if that was supposed to be like a Rachel Dolezalian situation or more of a Michael Jackson situation. But there's certainly a very interesting dynamic there that they could have done. Um, it's a shame it didn't get there. I truly think this it was meretricious. And I also think it's a true shame that he didn't get a cinematic film version. Very rarely do you see that modernly where you get like a movie and a show. But I think that one definitely, you know, especially in like the streaming era, that'd be killer. Like if I could just get like one quote unquote like holiday special for like mm. that franchise a year or every couple of years like they did with Sherlock for a little while. Mwah, chef's kiss. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice. I just I think it's a really good premise, especially be- because, you know, we, we dealt with cannibals last week with. Chainsaw Massacre yeah. and, and, and Hannibal is Hannibal, the cannibal, right? When she says his name like that, Hannibal is completely on the other side of the spectrum. So you have, you have like the, the, yeah, the honky tonk. I'm trying not to be, um, mean type, you know, Southern people. And then you have, <laughs> you have people who say y'all and people yes. who would have to like hiss through their teeth if they said y'all. I think yeah. that it's great because it's completely like purposefully divergent paths where you like they're doing ostensibly the same thing, but you would never hold them in the same category of cannibal. Right. No. So no. I think that that was a very deliberate choice. Also, I selfishly really wanted to do this one. I've been wanting to for several years now. I, I'd have multiple people say they're going to do it. You know, having I've read the book I think three times in 10 years. This is one of my favorite book adaptations of all time as well. Like I think it's really well done. And so, yeah, we might be starting to tread the same territory in terms of things gorging and gorging on human flesh, especially given our Patreon bonus is also cannibalistic, but it's so different. Oh, yeah. I think it's worthwhile. Yeah, for I, obviously it is. There's there's lots of different facets of this film. And so if you don't want it to just stick with Hannibal, so you don't have to like the, the Hannibal storyline, maybe like the Buffalo Bill storyline, maybe like Clarice's storyline and her arc and all the things going on with her, because they feel that 
And I really want to touch base on her because I feel like I can come from her standpoint. I know that a lot of people want to discuss like, you know, the queer elements of the film and suggesting that maybe it's against trans uh, gender people and all of these things, which I disagree. And we talked about that before because I Hannibal even says that Buffalo Bill is not transgender. He's not um, he's not trans. He's not trans like he's trying to be that because he doesn't want to be in his own skin. So. It's also interesting too, like, you know, nature versus nurture, because he says that Buffalo Bill was made this way. Mm -hmm. Whereas I feel like is Hannibal made this way or is he just like this? Right. So I think he, you know, he obviously would be able to answer that question. Well, if you watch Hannibal Rising, he's kind of made this way, but also kind of not. And it's also not a good movie officially. So if you're ever curious. Yeah, no, I I saw it. That's on Tubi as well. Yeah. Have you ever seen it before? I have not seen it. It's a wet fart. Yeah, I, because I just feel, I, I feel like I've been, except for with the exception of Red Dragon, I feel like I, the other ones have disappointed me. Like Hannibal, Hannibal is good. I, I mean, it's a decent movie. Like it's, I've watched it a couple of times. Is it one like that Ray I'm like, eating yeah. his own brain? Oh. And <laughs> I know it just, but it didn't have that finesse uh, that the Silence of the Lambs has. Okay, it's it more just of a blunt a, instrument, I get you. You know, and I just, I, especially when he's talking to her in the beginning, he's like, you know what you are with your, with your expensive bag and your cheap shoes. And I just, oh, I just love everything that comes out of his mouth. Like when he speaks, because he's just so, I, I, I can't even put my finger on it. I don't want to say he's very posh, but I, cause some, he's very vulgar at times too. So I can't, I can't like pinpoint how he speaks but the the way that he says it in his delivery and even t- which is why i'm drinking this because it's a Chianti, right ah. uh, to pay homage to my dr Lecter, right and i almost feel like you know clarice i want to talk to her talk about her seriously but just joking you know all things aside like she basically gets free therapy <laughs> out of this right like, really <laughs> <laughs> like he, he's like he's getting all of this stuff out right all our, of these repressed our public memories. healthcare system is not that bad that we have to go to savage murderers in order to get our treatment well, but yeah i get what you're saying clearly her health plan was because she kept going back to talk to him <laughs> and like at first she's like no Beats i'm not gonna tell you my story <laughs> okay but that's the only thing i'm gonna joke about but, you know, I, I get I mean, every time I watch this movie and, and you knew I was going to mention this and you cause you wanted me on this episode. So obviously I'm going to mention this. And for all of you who hate it when I mention these things, I don't fucking care. I just really hate the fact and I get so annoyed that like basically Clarice is this object to all of these men in this film. Yes. Like every every man in this film, she is an object for, which I think with the exception of Hannibal, I feel like he's the only one who like treats her not like because you know uh what's his name oh, i forget his name the chilton the crawford yep chilton crawford um it migs oh my god oh uh, every time i bill. watch that part i want to fucking yeah. barf like yeah bill bill with her hair you know and even the fucking cross-eyed entomologist motherfucker yep. like you're at your job like stop hitting on this woman she's she's not here for you to like take out like she's here to do her goddamn job. And, you know, she even told Crawford, like when he, he you know, he sent her out of the room and he's like, I know that made you angry, but I have to. And she's like, this matters. Like these kinds of things matter. But you, yeah, you allowing that to happen and allowing that to be a norm and exploiting it as the norm is a problem. 
Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, for someone who, you know, obviously we know from, from the beginning and even Hannibal knows this, like he's not even out in the real world. It doesn't have a radio. I guess he gets a newspaper because I'm assuming that's how he knows. Yeah, he reads the newspaper. Yeah, exactly. But he even knows that Crawford is like likes her like he even mentions that. And and so it's just it, it's like, come on, he's your boss. He was your professor. Now he's your boss. And you were that creepy, rapey man beater and um what was he in the urban cowboy every time i see that guy oh, okay. it's like <sighs> anyway so it's just he creeps me out and i know he's supposed to be nice or whatever but then he also sends her into the the, the lion's den by herself because he's a fucking idiot he's not an idiot he's deliberate and that's you you definitely nailed it on on the head when it came to people using her as a tool scott glenn in his rendition of uh, jack crawford Every single person looks at her like a noun. And I think that it's mm-hmm. very, very deliberate. And that's one of the things I think is so great about Hannibal is that he doesn't. And his dissection of her is very posh. But I don't know necessarily he would use that same approach with everybody. And if you look at other media that he's in, he doesn't necessarily do the same thing to everybody. It's not, I'm going to attack you in your shoes. He's attacking her. Because he knows what station she's from. He knows she's dirt-ass poor. So he knows that's the most effective way to get at her. But if he was Mm -hmm. going after somebody like Buffalo Bill or somebody like Jack Crawford or somebody like Chilton, he would go after them in an entirely different way. And that's one of the really interesting ways to show how, how absolutely cutting he can be, how sophisticated he can be, how cruel. But then also at the same point, he's the most earnest because everything he says ultimately comes to a point of understanding not only of who she is but who she has the potential to be right mm-hmm. right right and and even when he says that makes that comment towards the senator right about her nipples. oh my god <laughs> you fucking <laughs> my favorite everybody gets hung up on that but when he says love your suit that's the one that always gets me oh so good i love him see and that's what just makes me love him like things like that like i just like, how could you, I, I you know, I, obviously there's not a lot of serial killers that are very sophisticated and, you know, cause even like, okay, someone like Patrick Bateman, for instance, like he's supposed to be this whatever, but he's a fucking creep. Like, ew. Like, I don't love him except for when he kills Jared Leto. I don't love him the way that I Try love a reservation at Dorsey and that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can attest high point of the movie. <laughs> So, you know, I just with with that being said, I what I meant was when Crawford inadvertently sends uh, Clarice into the, you know, to go question people about Frederica's death and she inadvertently finds Buffalo Bill. That's what I mean. And she's by herself. Right. Like she's all alone. She's questioning people and she she finds it. it, it could have gone wrong. And we, we and, you know, and, and it is scary to the point because, you know, at the beginning, she doesn't check the corners. So, like, she could she could have died. Like, what if what if they had killed her? Right. Right before the ending. Yeah. Like, it would be an entirely different movie. But would it have been like, you know, and Buffalo Bill wins? Like, oh, my God. So I don't know. I'm just like posing something completely different. But anyways, back to back to Clarice. I really think that Jodie Foster does such a beautiful job with this character and she's she does play female these types of characters in in a way that are like they're vulnerable but they're also she also has like you can tell she's you know when she's crying by the car and she's having these flashbacks you know you really do feel for her but there are times when she's you know basically sticks it to people and i'm good for her because the way she talks to hannibal sometimes 
you know, when she like kind of throws things back in his face, she's like, no, that's the sort of thing that Migs would say. Right. Yep. Like when she says those kinds of not things anymore. to him, like, good. Well, yeah, not anymore. But good for you, girl. Like, don't let these fucking assholes just walk all over you. But there is a point in the movie where I notice that she does realize that she can use her sexuality to her advantage. And this is what I do like about her, because Correct. Well, it's very it's very subtle. But some of the little things that she does, for instance, like when she's going into the into the building, she's kind of like, you know, finessing her way into the building to bring Hannibal his drawings like she's she's lying to the cop she's not really lying to the cop but she's not being truthful either Mm -hmm. but she's like smiling and she's just getting in and then even as she's passing the other cop when she goes to towards the cage again there's like this subtle smile she's like oh I'm just a woman don't mind me right yeah and she uses that to her advantage because she realizes okay well they're gonna look at me like this anyways what can I get out of this and she does it much more in the book. In the book, uh, her relationship with Crawford's a little bit different. And I wouldn't say, yeah, I, she des- doesn't necessarily get the upper hand on him, but it definitely is more overt. But it's just, that's the nature of having an expanded relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I need to read the book. In fact, one of my uh, girls last year, she did the book for her her final project. And I was like, you, you're going to read Silence of the Lambs? It's really good. Like, like, it's one of those things where, you know, sometimes you see other media get adapted because it's salacious. Like, you know, you're like even, you know, we talked about Texas Chainsaw Massacre getting a sequel. Obviously, they never needed a sequel. Right. But they gave mm-hmm. Toby Hooper a bunch of money. And so he's like, OK, fine. Fuck you. I'll subvert you. Um, you know, a lot of times you see that where it's just name brand or something gross or something that's meant to be antagonistic. This was meretriciously good. And I think despite its subject matter to a point where people, I mean, I cannot fucking, I don't, I, I, I'm not a big uh, Academy Awards guy, but I mean, it swept motherfucker. Like that's a huge thing. This movie went up against Boys in the Hood, JFK, Thelma and Louise, Cape Fear. I mean, there's tons of like really good movies and some that kind of thematically overlapped to an extent and it beat all the ass. So yeah. Well, I think rightfully so, though, because, again, the 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 amount uh, the the all the different facets of this film and just everything that you kind of are able to look at, like it's like I said before, anytime you watch it, you can just look anywhere and you see something different. And it's just it's very captivating just watching Clarice's story and watching her grow and and seeing that she finally is able to get to the point where she it, and just, you know, the the whole metaphor with the lambs and everything, yeah. it's just it it's 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 a very intelligent film and I assume an intelligent book. And I feel that, you know, even if you haven't read the book, I'm glad that this movie is so uh, close to the source material from what I've heard. Again, I haven't read it listening to you and then my my little girl's podcast and and mind you you never you looked at this child and she doesn't look like anybody would ever watch this movie let alone read the whole book but good for her i you know having listened to that and all of that i just think that it it does a really good job of of bringing horror to an audience that would otherwise snub it that's totally fair yeah, it's not it's not all horror, but I think a lot of the images are gruesome, especially with they show the women being skinned and watching the the girl getting kidnapped and just like I I walked out of the room like whenever he gets her, I can't watch it I, because I know what he's about to do. And I'm just like my heart starts beating and I get so like I'm like, oh, my God, like, why? I, why are you getting in there? Why are you doing that? And like, I can't blame her because that's victim blaming. Right. But at the same time, it's like, oh, like 
come on. I'm just, and he's, oh, he's beating her and then he's touching her back. And I'm just like, and the sick thing is, is that it's based, the, the sickest part is that it's based on Ted Bundy, which is real. And that's one of the things that's exactly. so severe. Like when you look at Texas Chainsaw, you look at Psycho, the scariest shit is the real shit. That's why, like, I watch Hellraiser and I'm like, this is fucking fine. I've never seen a yeah. fucking Cenobite or my uncle without skin. But with this, because of how tangible it is, how relatable it is, how anybody and, and you know, the, the really frustrating part about it is she knows better. You see there's a yeah. moment where she knows probably shouldn't do this. But then the reason she does it is because she's an intrinsically good person. Mm-hmm. So you're, it's kind of like Reagan in The Exorcist being punished for just existing. That's scary because it's always easy to victim blame. Oh, she shouldn't have been wearing that. Oh, she shouldn't have been in that place at that time of night. Oh, she shouldn't. No, 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 no. Circumstances are we shouldn't have evil fucking people. And that's one of the reasons this was so goddamn severe and so interesting. Yeah, it's just and then they then they show the cat and the cat sees the whole thing. And I'm just like, oh, my God. And then who's going to take care of the kitty now? These are the things that go through my head. But I just. So I again, I feel like I would rather take my chances with with Hannibal over Bill. I just, I, and that's not even his real name. We're just calling him that because, you know, that's the newspapers named him, right? But at the same time, I just think that it's, if, like, because I, I know that The Exorcist was based on a book. So if we're going to talk about Reagan, right? So I haven't read The Exorcist either, but it's another one of those films where, and it also won, didn't it win an Academy Award or was nominated? Yes. And then uh, the girl who played Reagan got the best supporting actress, even though she didn't use her own voice. And that was a scandal. Oh, well, I mean, you're putting, what was she, 13, 13 year old yeah, through all Physiologically, these- there's just like simply no way she could have done that, but they marketed it as though she did. So that's where the scandal came from. Oh, um, yeah, whatever. Wait, oh, no, was- she was only nominated. Excuse me. It, it did yeah, win for William Peter Blatty's uh, writing and best sound. She, okay. she was only nominated. For, oh, yeah. Best actress in a supporting role. That's a quick point. Uh, when Anthony Hopkins, Sir Anthony Hopkins, won his Academy Award for this film, he won it for Best Actor, not Best Supporting Actor. Do you think that that's incorrect? No, I think he's Best Actor. I don't think he's a supporting. I think that the two Best Actress would be Jodie Foster as the female lead, and he's the the male lead. Who else would be the male lead in the film? You don't necessarily have to have a male lead. I think that he supports her. I think that he supports the plot. You know, he does um, have. A fairly good amount of screen time, but he's obviously not the centrifugal character, but he is so charismatic. I mean, it's completely understandable, but I think that his, you know, a lesser quality cog in that spot would be a supporting actor is what I'm kind of getting at. Like, you know, that's another thing with like Mads Mikkelsen. He's very dynamic. He's very compelling. You know, and that's one thing I think that this film does very, very well that the Hannibal show did not do well. I'm not saying that you have to be intelligent to like the Hannibal TV show. What I'm saying is that it, it, it purposefully tries to appeal to a higher common denominator. And it's somewhat exclusionary in that. While this film is intellectual and it does posit some very deep questions, I don't think that it's exclusionary in its sophistication. I don't think you have to have a PhD in order to go, hey, this is kind of fucked. Oh, hey, maybe, you know, the impulsivity of these uh, gender terms and everything. Maybe there is more to it. Maybe it is more of a spectrum. Think about how sophisticated that is. Maybe today we would just call him genderqueer, but mm-hmm. we don't know because he didn't get mental health services and it was so taboo. Yeah, and that's and that's another thing too, is that even, it's just when you're listening to the all of the things with Bill 
especially when Hannibal's talking about him because he said that he had seen, you know, he saw him once, um, talked to him once, and it was only because his lover was afraid of him. Like, imagine what that other guy was going through and that no one probably cared, one, because he's gay, two, because he was clearly, like, when they found his head, he had lipstick and eyelashes on, so he clearly wasn't dressing as man, right? So it's just... You know, he had no one to go to but his therapist. And even even uh, Hannibal says he's like, you know, I went after he missed three sessions. I knew something was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, my God. <laughs> and again, it's it's not that he has an uh, inherently good nature. The missed sessions impact him. Right. It's taking yeah. money out of his pocket. And so, it, you know, he's always it's calculated. Yeah. And obviously he hid the head. I, it's not implied. I mean, I think it's implied in the movie that he hit the head because he knew at some point he was going to need this, yeah. this information. And so I'm like, oh, look at you go. Like, <laughs> I can't help but celebrate Hannibal and I'm just a horrible person for it. But I mean, nothing that Buffalo Bill does is redeemable. And, and it's sad in a way because he is a monster that was made, right? Or so, you know, Dr. Lecter posits, but. Well, look at characters like Otis Tool and people like that from, from just real life. Men who are made to have some kind of gender identity issue commingled with head trauma. It's a recipe for disaster and dismay. Carl Panzram to a certain extent. So people being victims in a certain element. This movie does a really great job of focusing only on the now because the now is what's important. By saying that, you acknowledge the past, but that's not the, that's not what this movie is. This isn't the origin story of Buffalo Bill, but I think it's really interesting because it helps you posit in your mind what this character in Clarice Starling, what this character in Jack Crawford, what they're doing now. You're only getting a trickle of information. This isn't one of those movies where you know who the bad guy is in the beginning, albeit you see him from the beginning. That's really mm-hmm. good. Really clever. Yeah. I like it. Ah, for sure. For sure. I have a thousand things I can talk about. Like you, you had talked about the, the gender identity issues. The book is a little bit different, so I would encourage you to read it uh, just in terms of how the information is delivered. It's a little bit less rushed and, you know, ooh, scary, you know, villainous tranny, which is, I use that as a colloquial term that I've heard about this movie. It's a scary tranny movie. So I, and very rarely do you see transgender characters be I mean, it's it's a lot like we've talked about. What was that movie that came out last year we talked about with Kristen Stewart where it was like, oh, you like girls. This is set in 2020. You couldn't have just set this in the 90s. Like, that's a 90s movie. Because the fact is, is like, just like with a lot of gay characters, you're depicted as either menacing, you're the evil gay person who wants to convert children, or you're a victim. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't think of, it, it may, I might be wrong, I can't think of any positive affirming characters um, in modern media, where I mean, I guess transparent was kind of, but I think Jeffrey Tambor got canceled during that. And then there's trans American, but very rarely is it in like a good, like, hey, you're you're the hero, but you're just transgender. And so I think that this is frustrating because it's a villainous character. Um, but yeah, I, I would recommend reading the book. That's as far as I am capable of commentary. Yeah, I, yeah, and and that's sad because I feel like there are shows like Orange is the New Black. I think is a good uh, showcases you know transgender. I, I'll I'll be at they're all in prison, but <laughs> there's a lot of layers to those type the, all of those characters in that show, and you know, and it's very. I, I don't think it ever looks at it to where okay, these characters are bad because they're gay because they're trans. They're just you know. 
they they ran into the circumstances that they did, and this is why they're in prison, sort of thing. Yeah. So uh, the first season, I, I only watched the first season. I couldn't get past the second, so I don't know what the hell ends up happening. But especially in horror films, like the only thing I can think of modernly that looks at queer as as something that uh, is just part of our lives, and this is this is this is it, and this is normal, is Schitt's Creek, and I think Schitt's Creek never looks at it Perfect. as. You know what I mean? Best depiction of our day because they're never victims. They're not ostracized. It's just a love story. And mm-hmm. there's there's never the question of like, oh, can we get this venue? Because we're, it, none of that matters. And it's the mm-hmm. best queer relationship. It's actually, it's my favorite TV romance. I like it better than Sam and Diane. I like it better than Jim and Pam, those fuckwits, Michael and Holly, whomever <laughs> and whatever from some other show. Truly, keep going. Yeah, no, exactly. And so I, I, I really would like to see this more, especially in horror, because again, we, and, and I always say this and we come back to this, I feel like a lot of the times now with any kind of media, like uh, queer and transgender characters are just peppered in there because they need to tick boxes and not because we're, you know, making characters that are meaningful to, to what's happening. And so, you know, and the, like we can be inclusive and and make characters matter. And that's another reason why I had so many issues with the Fear Street, because I just thought that everything they tried to do with all of the queer and, and it was it made by two gay men. So I that's why I was just so like, but I'm looking at it as a straight person, I guess. So I don't I can't really comment on that. Although, I mean, straight is, <laughs> is subjective sometimes. Come on. Everybody's straight until they get to that price. You know, there's the, every kid played that game of like, if I gave you a million dollars, suck my dick right now. And you're like, yep. I do love men and makeup. Hence Davey Havoc. So mm. anyway, well. You nah, like his so current pretty. shitty fucking shadows fall looking dread hair almost? No. It's a shame. All my, <laughs> all my makeup boys ended up not looking so good. You got Gerard Way looking a little, a little, a little husky. Oh, oh, he hit the wall. Ooh. <laughs> Like, hey, fella. I saw, I'm like, what happened? You're to rich you? now. You did Umbrella Academy. You could afford a fucking hygienist and a fucking uh, weight person to like. <laughs> you could you could afford a weight watcher, as in somebody like you could pay Jenny Craig herself to come in. Like, hey, Gerard, put down the pudding cup. Oh my god! I know. Maybe you know. And that's the thing. It's like, uh because we. Uh, but anyways, yeah. No, I. I it, so I guess like Chris Motionless now would be my my new favorite makeup my guy. So anyways, Ooh. like again, uh Chris Motionless. Oh, from Motionless, motionless in, in Bland. Oh, he's so pretty. What about oh, the no, ghost he... guy? He wears makeup. Yeah, but he's really old. Like <laughs> And people yeah, say he... mean things about him. Uh, he he's not necessarily canceled, but people have been like, he stole my work and I'm like, okay, I'm I, I'm not. I've it. I've seen Ghost Live only because they've opened up for Avenged Sevenfold like a million times too. Ah, so that's the point. only reason I've seen them. But uh, again, are they my favorite? No. But I again, I do like guys in makeup. So there's that. I don't know why I'm talking about this. Totally lost my point of view. But anyways, circling back <laughs> to Silence of the Lambs, I just I, I I get why people think that you know transgender is vilified in this, and it's and it's sad because if you're really listening, even Clarice mentions that. You know, typical transgender people are not violent. So she just did not, she in her mind did not believe that this character was either. So. Well, and that's one of the things that makes him sympathetic. It's, I've talked about this a lot. I I have one friend who is strictly non-binary and it's so much harder for them to dictate and explain 
because people like simple answers. People like yes and no. People don't have the fucking patience for gradients. And that's where I think that I don't think that he has no gender dysphoria or what have you. I think that it's just misdiagnosed and he doesn't have the patience or, or, or the support structure to be able to explore it. I think that's what makes mm-hmm. him such an interesting villain. And I think one of the things that gets lost, but retrospectively, if you give the movie the benefit of the doubt and you're looking at it kind of with a more critical analysis, you're seeing that that's a deliberate element of it as opposed to at the time just being the scary training movie. I think that there is a lot more there. I think that yeah. he is the, the clear misdiagnosis and misrepresentation of the community is because he's not and he's not because we didn't have open candor. And so that's a certain criticism of the world. People talk about how like, oh, horror is not political. <laughs> Ooh, this movie has a lot to say about that. Have you heard about public health? Like, have you heard about mental health services? There's so many things. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know George Romero's yeah. in this movie? No. Mm-hmm. Yes. Who? Yeah. He uh, has a cameo when Hector or Hannibal, when Hector Lanable is in the <laughs> cage. He's in his suit and he goes <laughs> in the background. Oh, okay. That's so funny. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I didn't the know that. screenwriters, one of the cops who busts in with you gotta love they didn't have SWAT teams because it wasn't a military it was police force. He just has a fucking gun instead of a machine gun and a tank. And the, the director has a cameo when it's uh, the just when, oh, it's when Hannibal's like blending into the crowd. Some good okay. shit, man. I did know that. Yes. And isn't it Chris Isaac in this or something? Am I am I crazy or making this mis- mixed up with somebody else? Just um, kidding. It, I'm crazy. OK. Crazy. I think. I know she's free. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> Chris Isaac is the SWAT commander. As said in the voice of Jason Muse, I am the SWAT commander. (laughs) See, I told you I wasn't crazy. I just couldn't remember what he did. Um, Oh, Roger Corman's in it, too. Perfect. Speaking of, yeah. So I just, I, I wrote it down. But I didn't bother looking for him. So. Well, I have like whole. I, like, <laughs> that's the frustrating thing about doing this movies. I just I our conversation I knew would be very all over the place. Like I have a whole theory about Orion films and Dilo, Dino De Laurentiis films. Like to me, Orion is a name that brings quality. Like if you go back and you look at their film history, you got everything from fucking Excalibur to Amityville Horror. Uh, there's just a litany of good things and so you robocop obviously when i see that title or you know the credit i always get excited and then you get to dino de Laurentiis, and he's got conan the barbarian and this an army of darkness and you know uh, truly this movie just kind of comes it's so interesting because it comes from two meretricious sources and it's the penultimate um, and I don't think that it's just chic. I think, like I said, I, I'm kind of getting redundant, I know. But like, it's despite the subject matter, it, people really like this film. Also, despite the fact that he touches bugs, you know that Clarice, I, I wanted to get back to this when you were talking about the uh, the entomologist. They end up together in the book. Oh, the crooked eye guy? That's what's super funny. Is <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, I watched the movie. And I'm not I'm not criticizing a bit, but I, I felt like, oh, she's the object of his desire. It's kind of gross that he's into her. Then I read the book and I was like, oh, that's so sweet. Like he isn't a shitty guy. And they also play chess with the bugs. And it's cute. It's endearing. Oh, well, I mean, I think that's sweet. I, I assumed that they were just trying to push the the unrequited love between her and 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 Crawford. And, and but I can see that happening. I get it. Does he have a crooked eye? Why do we keep saying that's so mean? 
<laughs> it's his eye a little off. <laughs> I don't remember it being off in there, but uh, you know, so Crawford in the book has a sick wife. She's dying, and so he himself is in a weary, just battle hardened state. Like he has just okay. been through it. And he has this object of his desire, which is Clarice, and it's an object to a goal. She is a tool to achieve his own self-interest, right? It stops yeah. this case. It stops the bleeding and it keeps moving on. And so the mechanism there, with you, you had mentioned Crawford, and everybody has their own self-interest, but at least one person she actually does kind of like. And I also really love the dynamic of like her being in a male-dominated profession and him being a pencil pusher. And at least from what I recall, when I read the book, they didn't make it like, oh, it's Mr. Mom with Michael Keaton. She's going <laughs> to wear the pants and he's going to be a vagina. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, you know, and I think that because she's a woman in that that profession, and they show all these really cool shots, like when she's in the elevator, yeah, the giant the guys, guys. standing by, <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it just it just shows you like she has to work that much harder to get what she to get where she needs, and she's so smart about it, and she just like even when Crawford's like I gave you an A, and she's like no A minus, like there's just little things to this film that are just you know it's just so like fascinating. This is why I love movies like this, you know, and Exorcist too, is that I just love listening to these characters because yes, while it's horror because it is scary, it's also really smart too. Like you know I do love a good horror comedy, and I love you know watching people's you know brains getting bashed in and all that fun stuff. But at the same time too, there are times where I just want to watch something that is is in the genre that I adore and that I also can like get lost in as well. So a lot goes into that. It, it, the rewatchability. This is a pretty tough subject matter. Like there are oh, awful yeah. scenes, you know, like you said, when she's being abducted in the beginning or when she's in the hole or when she, you mm -hmm. know, wounds precious. Funny enough, my not my dog is named Darla. If you look at the credits of the film, happy coincidence that dog is Darla as well. The actress. Um, so there are a lot of things that could make Chilton is awful. Awful. When he throws it in her face like that, oh, I, you wasted my time with me walking you down here. And she like picks it up and goes, oh, I wouldn't have the pleasure of your company. Like, yeah, that is such a thing that women have to do to coax the male ego constantly. It's not I mean, it's there's so many things that could make this movie one of those films. That you just watch one and never again. And then mm -hmm. there's things that make you watch this movie over and over. Uh, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Howard Shore's score. I said it right. First try. Um, what did you think of the shore score? Of the shore score? No, I really do like, I think the music really helps drive this movie because, and I think I almost want to say that this sort of doesn't, like the way the music is, doesn't really make it feel like horror. Exactly. And maybe that's where it gets away with it. Am I crazy? No, you're that's actually one of the elements I wanted to touch on because in this era of his career, he's doing his Mr. Mrs. Doubtfires and all those. Uh, that's more of a, an affront to trans rights in this film, I think. Um, but this is before he became the Lord of the Rings guy, you know, the Hobbit guy and, and doing these big bombastic kind of things. And I think that the pomp yet normalcy of this, again, takes it and elevates it out of horror. You could just as easily see. It's kind of like with uh, John Williams score of uh, Star Wars. Fucking Star Wars is stupid. Your, <laughs> your brain is lying to you when you say that you like Star Wars. And you, what you like is John Williams score and laser swords. That's all you'd like. Um, because mm -hmm. if you had the Buck Rogers theme of like that, da, 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 you'd just be like, okay, whatever, just fucking put on your little glass helmet and float off into space, asshole. But it makes it feel important. And this score in this film does the high highs and the low lows. 
that when she's sitting with her roommate and they're talking about it, and they're unraveling it. The music ramps up with them, and it's I don't know, it's really, really good. Really, really like it. I'm afraid to listen to it on Spotify because I'm afraid my wife's gonna think that I'm tucking my dick back and running in the woods. But you know, <laughs> well, I know. Oh, and, and I like that you mentioned the part, the part where they're talking together at the end like that, because it is, you know, that's such a good, I love the fact that is, you know, the women figure it out, right? Like we've got all these men working on this case, you know, the, the cops don't want to leave because, you know, they're this and they're that, and they want to like stick around and Crawford's being an ass and Shelton just wants to get laid and all of these men in here that could possibly be, you know, working to solve this case. And who does it? Just the two, you know, chicks in the film. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, but I do like the fact that you mentioned that about the music because I, and, you know, scores like that, like you always, you know, you may not recognize, well, you'll, you'll recognize this one. I feel like if you've seen the movie enough, but when you do, when you are watching the movie, just to helps, I think kind of carry it with you. Whereas, you know, there's some films where things are just so like in your face when the music comes on or, when it has the hook, that you know, Michael Myers. Yeah. Da, 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 da. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. I smell your stuff. Yeah. Man. I mean, even with John Williams with, with Jaws, right? So, you know, yeah. as, a, as, as a kid playing the clarinet and the uh, seventh grade orchestra, I can't tell you how many times we had to play the Jaws theme. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's like, like, really? This is it? <laughs> One thing I, I, I would really be remiss if I didn't clarify when i'm talking about howard shore i am very well aware that he had done films like scanners and the fly and videodrome a lot of films we've done on here he did seven he did uh, tons of horror or at least horror fringe stuff what i'm talking about in terms of like this specific era of his day he did some suspense stuff but this really stands out compared to the other films that he was doing and I don't think that it's a huge break from what he was doing in those other films. So again, it's like a piece of a puzzle. So hopefully I, I make that sound okay. I, I'm not necessarily apologizing because I'm definitely right, but we'll move on. Okay. Anything? Uh, oh, let's talk about Ted Talley. Can we talk about Ted Talley? Sure. Can we toe Talley talk about Ted Talley? So he <laughs> Talley. wrote this film, The Juror, one other movie in 2000, or 1996, went to 2000. Then he did Red Dragon, then didn't work for 16 years and hasn't worked since. So I want to give that guy an award for having just the best meretricious discipline of any workman in the film of the Writers Guild clan of Kazakhstan. <laughs> That's it. I mean, well, isn't that the same thing when we talked about um, Texas Chainsaw last week? Like the guy didn't do pretty much anything else, right? Texas Chainsaw 2. Yes, correct. 2. Yeah. So that's so that's just weird because you feel I feel well, I guess because maybe this is an adaptation correct from a book, so it's not necessarily the same as if you just wrote it. Yeah, I but reaching? I mean he did win for the adapted screenplay. So I mean like you win an Academy Award, you just you just done. You just coast, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm well, at least yeah. So maybe that's why I like Red Dragon then. Red Dragon's legit. Red Dragon's super good. Have you ever seen Manhunter, the original one? No. Uh, well, I have seen it, uh, but I haven't seen it in a very long time. So I wouldn't even be able to tell, you know, comment so on it. Manhunter so is a frustrating one because it, it's, it's frustrating because it's got all of the pieces just not done the right way. And that's one of the things like just because you have ingredients doesn't mean that you have a, a delightful amouge bouge or something. You use a fancier word than me. That's fine. 
but it, it's frustrating because it's like all of these things are ostensibly like Tom Noonan is great. I have a tattoo of Tom Noonan for Christ's sake. Like, but when it comes to the way it's done, is it's just it's the theme. It's just a little bit too milk toast, and it's a little bit too much like a Miami Vice at points. But it's definitely worth seeing, and I think it makes Red Dragon all the better for it because. Again, it's not necessarily any one thing is wrong with Manhunter. It's just that so many things are right with Red Dragon. Mm, okay. Yeah. I, I And I love I love Edward Norton. Oh, my God. So I think he does really well in that. You and he both, well. sister. <laughs> so there's that. What else you got? You want to talk about the director? Jonathan Dem, 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 Jonathan Dem. According to this... Demi, Deem. Demi, like more? Demi, yeah, it's Demi. <laughs> Thank you. I have a brain that is used for thinking at times. So he did a bunch of other junk. He did this one film called Philadelphia that makes a bunch of people cry all the time. Um, oh, that's yeah, actually I the, saw that. the film he did right after this, which is pretty intense. Yeah, I've only seen that movie once, and I think I saw it in the 90s, and I'll never watch it again. Like, ooh. Yeah, it hurts. It hurts the soul. It's not meant to be good no, like it's no. like a feel good it's well done though yeah one one watch that's a one watch uh film i think I, I don't know if i could watch it multiple times but it is i mean it's not a bad it's not a bad movie i don't want anyone to think that i think it's a bad movie because it's not but again like i think it's one of those things where this is the difference between those two films it has a subject matter that makes you uneasy but one of them is done in a way that i think has a lot to do with the frenetic pace and it's it's kind of got this thumping pace to it without feeling like a cheesy action film. You know, it's not like mm-hmm. The Fugitive, but it feels like it's moving as quickly as The Fugitive scene to scene, space to space, right? Oh, for sure. For sure. I completely agree with that. Thanks. Yeah. I like being agreed with. It's my favorite. Oh, see, I'm not that horrible. <laughs> <laughs> what else you got? Ramble. Okay, I, I, I put a bunch of stuff. Hold on. Let me go back to my notes because I was looking at some things. Okay. Okay, I already talked about that. Huh. If you need like more I... things, I'm happy to do it. I just didn't want to, to blitzkrieg you and and speak over you. Oh, well, I did I did notice when I was doing some research was that um you you did not blitzkrieg over me. You never do that. Thank you. <laughs> Despite my blonde hair and blue eyes, I don't blitzkrieg over people very often. <laughs> Unless you're a little Polish man. Oh. Well, I am Polish, but that's beside the point. Oh, so, you shouldn't have said that. So now I'm going to keep talking over you. <laughs> but I don't look it. So, you know, I get away with that. <laughs> so Fangoria was uh, declined a chance to cover this movie. That's what I was reading because they didn't want it to be associated with the horror genre. <laughs> Can you believe that? I mean, I believe it, but well, I'm kind of sad. You look at Fangoria's it. demographic. I mean, they make their money on the the cheese and the sleaze, you know, if it, if it's not a behind the scenes picture of the special effects, it's, you know, they shed light on the unlit versus a film of this kind of aplomb and everything, I think certainly could take it away. And honestly, I wonder if they were afraid of their bottom line, just kind of with the popularization of the genre. But like, think about this film and then all of the dumb suspense movies that came out in the 90s, like the game and stuff, which is just I'm not saying it's a ripoff, but thematically. I'm so grateful that it went in that route instead of the horror route, which was more of a scream fest after 96. Mm, I guess. Yeah, you're right. I just think because it kind of reminded me of something that I read uh, years ago about why Jodie Foster didn't come back for Hannibal. 
And this is me reading this as like a 12 year old kid on something. So this is my 12 year old memory of something that she just didn't want to be associated with this type of like genre. And so I don't know if she meant horror or if she just meant the, the, the fact that Hannibal is so Hannibal and it's not really like silence of the limbs. I'm just like, I, I don't know if you read anything about that. I'm, I'm sorry. Break it down. Did I? Okay. I'm confused. Jody. Jodie Foster said that she didn't want to reprise her role as Clarice for Hannibal. Correct. Because she just didn't want to be associated with that kind of film. So I thought you said that it was about him directly. Not not Anthony Hopkins. Sorry, that's where I was lost. No, I completely understand that. But then it's also weird that she goes and she does movies like Panic Room. I mean, it really, I think it goes to, I, I am certain that she expected her career to expound beyond. And then I don't think there were a lot of offers that came her way. You know, this is a, a woman who long in the industry, I'm not mistaken. She's the prostitute from Taxi Driver and stuff. So she'd been yeah. there for a while. Uh, one thing that I've always wondered, because it was kind of implied in her Academy Award speech for this, which I did watch. Um, she is a lesbian. And I yeah. think that the scrutiny that came before characters, not even just of Buffalo Bill, but also of Hannibal Lecter. You know, there's a lot of, even in the film, they kind of imply like, oh, is he like mm, little light and loafers and stuff? And, and I think that there might be a certain degree of that um, as well. So I think that it's an amalgamation of multiple factors, I would say, without knowing her personally. But though we yeah. are on a first name basis in that I have referred <laughs> to her as Jody, and she has never known I exist. <laughs> That's Miss Foster to you. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Which, you know, I, I, and she was in a movie, I, even as a child actor, she does these roles that are just so like, I just can't believe like it, the, the movie where she's on the pinball machine. I can't even think of the name of it. I, which I've only watched once and I can never watch again, but that movie was just so, oh my God. And like, just thinking about that movie. Oh, but what is the movie where she's with Martin Sheen? I'm looking it up right now. Martin Sheen. Martin Say what? But he was really young. He must have been like in his late twenties in this movie. Martin the little Sheen? girl. He was yeah, born the, fifty. No, he's super young. Like he looks like um he looks like Emilio in this Ew, movie. That's weird. I know. Martin and Estevez, fucking sellout. I know. I you know. And that's that. Well, that's another thing. What made me think of that passing movie? It's like because okay, you're Hispanic, so you have to you have to pass in Hollywood with a with a you know a white name, so people won't you know piss on you it's like ridiculous i just want to say that i i'm an ally and that i was saying that as a mockery not of him as an individual but as the institution of having to do the (laughs) fake name yes i think people knew that yes i i mean i i took it that way i'm not saying he's a rachel dolezal is all (laughs) so it's the it's the little girl who lives down the lane and i think you you can watch it on prime it's on tubi a lot it's a great poster if you've ever seen it the silhouette it's, of a little girl with a shovel. Oh, it's so uncomfortable. Yeah, she's so basically. Sorry, Stella's trying to steal my thunder. So basically, it's about her living in this house and she sort of makes it seem like her father is around, but he's not. She's literally a little girl that lives by herself and she has money or whatever. And she just basically takes care of herself and she ends up hooking up with this Boy, and when I say little girl, like if you look at pictures of her in this, she must be like 11 or 12. 
Like That's she's not gross. even. Yeah. And she she's got like a neighbor with a limp or whatever. And I forget the boys and that that boy is in a bunch of other movies. And I forget his, where he's in other things. But um, she was eight. She was eight in this movie. No, 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 no. no. I was. Wrong. Oh. <laughs> OK, I was going to say. Because they're, yeah, like I'm even looking at the, and it's saying how controversial and provocative this is because the, the kid who her neighbor is or whoever ends up, you know, hanging out with her ends up like 15. living with her, like they're playing house and she's walking around with no shirt on, just her underwear and like sleeping in bed with him and everything. Like, what the fuck? Didn't Brooke like, Shields do that in a movie where she's on an island fucking some kid? Yeah, but she's clearly like older. Like you can tell she doesn't look like. I, I I don't know. I'm not watching like, this. Just so if there's any question, I feel very. It's really creepy. It's really creepy. Like that's Let's talk just, about this. I'm, a, I'm just a, I'm a blitzkrieg <laughs> over you. I don't want to. This is making me uncomfortable. Uh, did you know that Jodie Foster was in a Rush music video? No, I didn't know that. It's crazy. She was in this film called Tom Sawyer, where she played Becky Thatcher. Um, and everything on Wikipedia is wrong and says that it's based on a Mark Twain book, but it's actually the music video for the Rush song of the same name. <laughs> Super good song. Well, are you gonna are you gonna correct the Wikipedia page? I'm gonna fix it right now. <laughs> Let's talk about Contact because that doesn't involve her being an abused child. That movie's good. Then she was in a movie called The Beaver with Mel Gibson. So I mean, really, her standards of film really fell off after '99, wouldn't you say? Yeah. What is the one where she's in the plane? Flight plan. She- yeah, that one was okay. Oh, she was in Maverick also with uh, with. Oh, Melly I Gibbs. love Maverick. That's a good movie. Yeah, I forgot about her in Maverick. But okay, the, the- gun to your head. Pow, pow. You can watch Maverick as many times as you want, but you can never, ever watch Wild Wild West again. Or you can watch Wild Wild West as many times as you want for the rest of your life. But you can never watch Maverick again. Which do you choose? Okay, I've I've seen Maverick multiple times. I've only seen Wild Wild West once. So I really don't care. So for you that have one. to see it more. This is what you're saying. You have to get your your dance card up, <laughs> and then you'll fill it up with Wild Wild West. Great choice. I, me as well. Oh yeah, <laughs> Kenneth Branagh is, is you- amazing in that film. Kevin Klein getting felt up. How do we invariably always end up talking about Wild Wild West? I feel like you've brought this up multiple times. Because I just want to do that movie on this show. I'm well, sad at the lack of giant spider movies we've done. I mean, we did Eight-Legged Freaks, but we haven't done this giant mechanical steampunk spider. Well, we can. What is the which month do we do the other kinds of movies? May? Oh, Maybe horror? Maybe it was horror and then the year before that we did April Fools where we did uh, comedies that we, you know, tethered to horror based on a brief synopsis of the plot. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that worked too. That didn't was really. like no, Biodome, right? The numbers speak for themselves. Nobody wanted to hear an episode about the best. I didn't want to record it. The movie's racist as shit. I hate it. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, we're not doing the best. I'm not doing the best. <laughs> no. Sorry. John Linguizamo. I'll do Spawn. He was in that. How about that? Want to do Spawn? Well, oh, Spawn is good. We talked I like about Spawn. doing superhero once. We could do Blade, Spawn, Blade and Spawn, Blade 2. Blade Trinity. No, we had a whole list of like a ton of a meteor man. Okay. Blank man. No, I'm just kidding. Those aren't horror. No, I'm like, I wasn't thinking about that, but I think that. I would love to do Swamp Thing versus Man Thing. Anybody want to get down on that? (laughs) Not just talking about my left nut and my right nut after I go for a jog. You know what I'm saying? You weren't (laughs) prepared for that, were you? No, I wasn't. I didn't need that visual. I wish you were more Polish because I could see you blush. (laughs) 
your olive complexion prevents this. Yeah, you'll never know if I'm embarrassed. Racially, that's why people are racist against people of different ethnicities because they can't see them blush <laughs> at their poor taste in, in uncouth humor. Well, normally you can see it through my eyebrows, but I just got another round of Botox and my face isn't moving. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, you remind me of the lady from Legally Blonde. You're like, are you furious? I'm furious. I just had Botox. Do you remember that movie? <laughs> yes. Oh, I love that movie. All right. Let's take some closing points on, on Silence of the Lambs. I have a quarter of a burrito I have to finish. Yeah, I know. We need to move it along. Okay. We've already cleared the hour, so. Oh, okay. Well, you know, I just, overall, I'm glad that we did this one because I really didn't see it, foresee it popping up in anything based on all of our our months. What am, The categories that we've been choosing every month, I just didn't see it ever popping up. So I'm really happy that it somehow, fin, you know, finessed its way in, so. Because it again, it it does have just a the rewatchability alone is great, but especially if you've never seen this movie because you think it's like too up its own ass or something. I, I hope that nobody would think that, but if you've never watched it for that reason, then I really you know highly recommend that to anybody listening because it's on it's on two B right now, so you don't even have to pay for it. And I think it's just. It's one of those that will always stick with you for good reasons. And yes, there's a lot of disgusting elements to it. But I, I you know, I know that you said it's not like overtly violent, but it is violent in ways like, you know, especially when he grabs the cop by the and he's eating his face. And mm. while you don't see him biting down and this is sort of like when it's the same feeling that I got, but you kind of see it more in Cape Fear when Robert De Niro bites Ileana Douglas's cheek off. Same here. Uh, uh. Mm. so you know and then that's a spicy meatball he says (laughs) i spits it out oh my god oh i cannot that wasn't a racist thing because he's italian i just i just i thought of a funny thing to say after eating meat and as a vegan i have a very short list yeah well i I just thought you were quoting jim carrey so there you go remember on the mask so I just, I, I don't know. I highly recommend this one. And it, it, again, it, it does feel like it, it's a long movie, but you don't feel it. I don't think you ever feel it. It never drags. It just, there's so many different facets and so many like interesting things, even when she's meeting the entomologist or when she's running through the, even when she's doing the beginning, she's running through the forest or even her stories, like how horrifying, like I cry, I tear up every time she tells the story of the lambs. And and how she tried to save it and she couldn't. It was so cold. And I'm just like, oh my God, the lands. <laughs> so that's that's my take on well, it. It's also an important thing that somebody's most altruistic element it can also be the thing that undermines them, right? Mm-hmm. The fact is that yeah. she's vulnerable because she's a good person. And it, this is a film that it shows that it can be exploited, but also she doesn't compromise herself too greatly. She manipulates the situations in her flavor, but she doesn't abandon who she is. Or no. subvert it in some kind of evil, malicious way. She doesn't become Sharon Stone and Basic Instinct. That's another thing I, w- I really wish we had more time to talk about was the uh, interrogation element. You know, like there are so often in films, you know, you have interrogations, but how rare is it that you have a really good scene where the person doing the interrogation has no control? You know, you have like mm-hmm. Bat- the, the Dark Knight comes to mind very much so because it's like mm-hmm. while he has ostensibly the physical dominance over the Joker, he doesn't have control over the situation. And he only gets as much information as Heath Ledger of old is willing to divulge. And it's the same thing here. The only thing she can mm-hmm. do is kind of give up herself. It's almost like never ending story two, where he's like abandoning his memories for these stupid little wishes, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I agree. So, And just like Aid said, despite the fact that the film has Involptus Mors, the Salvador Dali naked skull lady thing in the cover, it's not that hoity-toity. It just looks cool. So you should definitely watch it. It won't take much time. Even with ads on Tubi, it'll be like two and a half hours. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just just start it, obviously. And it, again, it will just sort of captivate you. It pulls you in. Because you're almost looking at it through each character's perspective at different times. And so I think they did a really, it was a very clever way of doing it. And even if you're not into the, because the, the, some, you know, I, I'm not into the whole crime drama shit right now. Like, I don't care about Law and Order. I don't care about the serial killer documentaries. Like, I don't care. That doesn't, like, I like to watch things that, that don't aren't impress me much. No, like, I don't know why people always talk about, like, oh, I love serial killer documentaries. Like, it just reminds me of, like, something from Lifetime. Like, I have to watch this again. <laughs> so, now let's watch the I'm woman sorry. be victimized. Again. You know, I'm, I'm just, I'm over that. Like, I, I don't, you know, I, like, I like my horror for most most parts like to be fun and Hannibal does bring that sense of fun to it, especially when he talks about her outfit. Like, ah, oh, I love him so much. <laughs> and if you loved outfits and commentary thereof, um, let's say you wanted to start an out- a conversation on an outfit based on this show. How would I, how would I do that? Well, you would go to slasherspod.redbubble.com and guys, Black Friday is coming up and we've got some special special new designs uh, coming your way. So make sure you take a look on Friday the 20... Is that the 23rd? That is the 26th. No, 26th. Okay, Friday the 26th. Check out Redbubble. They're going to have some Black Friday deals that day. And we have a design for this very film. So check it out. I'm not going to say it because telling you about it You just need to see it to believe. You need to see it. Yeah. All right. Uh, Doug and I host shows on Saturday night. Wait, on B-Movie TV. Mine is Saturday Night Terrors. His is Friday Night Action. And those are television programs. Coker plugs other things, but he's only been on one episode with me so far. So I don't know what those things are. But just listen to the last episode we did with him, which is Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, and copy and paste his commentary herein. And with that being said, for Adrian and Jake, I'm saying goodbye and good die.